Good evening. Acts chapter 6 is where we'll be. Where we will be is Acts chapter 6. Sometimes it's fun to try to pronounce every letter in the word Acts. Um, it's, it's, I don't know how much fun. Maybe it's a little fun, but we'll be in the book of Acts uh, chapter uh, 6. We're going to talk about something uh, pretty, pretty encouraging, pretty special tonight. You know, we're going through Luke Sundays, and Luke's already been awesome. It will continue to be awesome, not only because it's the Word of God, but also because Luke does a wonderful, wonderful job telling a wonderful story. He's quite the storyteller, Luke, and uh, every Sunday we'll be able to hear new stories as we go through um, the Gospel of Christ. And Acts chapter 6 is a powerful passage because um, the book of Acts is a powerful book. It's a unique book for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is that a lot of churches don't know how they feel about Acts. And um, there's kind of two schools of thought on Acts and, and how to interpret it. One is that it was um, a retelling of the first century church. And that's really awesome for them, but it doesn't necessarily, um, it's not normal. And it's not necessarily what we should expect to have as a church nowadays. Other people uh, look at Acts and they say, well, no, that's the image of the first century church. That is the ideal church. That is the church that we should strive to be. Um, our family of churches tends to be in the latter camp um, that we strive to really look like to emulate the first century church. Um, but as we know that sometimes we, we do fall short, but other times it's encouraging to see uh, where we're actually alike to the first century church. And the book of Acts is powerful because it begins with an amazing story, right? An amazing story of 50 days after Jesus dies, his apostles come on the scene and they do something that would freak you out, would freak any of us out right now, right? If, if uh, you know, Teresa Dorier unmuted herself and started speaking fluent Mandarin in front of all of us, you know, it would be pretty impressive, pretty wild. And then, you know, if Audrey Pearson unmuted herself and started speaking uh, Polish. I don't know if Audrey knows Polish, but, uh, and then we had, and then we had another person, we had Tom Gaines speak German. Wait, no, we had Tom Gaines speak a language that he didn't know about. He didn't know what, you know, but this incredible miracle happens in Acts chapter two. These people are speaking languages they've never known before. Uh, it's an incredible miracle. And then as if that were not enough, there's Acts chapter two, this beautiful sermon, this beautiful sermon, the first sermon by Peter, it's epic. It's in front of thousands of people on the steps of the stinking temple, the magnificent temple, this huge thing right in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. It is like the greatest day ever. This is a huge deal. 3,000 people get baptized that day. Um, the church is off. Bang. The church is off and running. And uh, there is something new, something different about this church. And things are going quite well. Um, the, the post-baptism glow is working, uh, that everything is going pretty smoothly in Acts chapter 3 and 4. But then in Acts chapter 5, we have a little bit of a problem because the church in Jerusalem is collecting special contribution, as they do every year. Um, and, uh, well, they're just taking up collection, right? And Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple, um, they misrepresent, uh, they agree as a married couple to lie to the church and misrepresent what they gave. Um, and we begin to see, and we begin to have that, that feeling, that, that chill run down our spine where we realize, uh oh, I thought this was going to be the ideal church. I thought this was going to be the perfect church. Um, you're telling me that, that they are lying. You're telling me that they died from lying. What in the world? And even at the end of chapter five, it says that the whole church was seized with a great panic, a great fear. 
And here we, and here we end up in chapter six to look at how is the church going to respond to what every church must respond to, which is when issues come up and how do they tackle those issues. Acts chapter six will begin in verse one. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal seemed to please the whole group, or it pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You know, something, something is rotten in the state of Jerusalem here in Acts chapter 6. And it's, it's something that if you read through the book of Acts, you can easily read over uh, in terms of what actually happens here. But what happens is not good. Um, you know, a widow was an extremely vulnerable person in ancient times. Um, it, it was a person who had no recourse to go pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Like, oh, just go get a job. You know, like go, go get money, go fix your, go take care of yourself. Widows, right? And it depended on their situation. They, within the, the culture they lived in, they, they didn't have recourse to be able to take care of themselves. So they relied on the, the, the church to take care of them. And now if you're a widow, why do you probably need taken care of? Well, probably yourself, but for many cases, probably your children, your family. And it's, and it's interesting that the church, that there was one of the, the, earliest problems, one of the earliest issues in this ideal, perfect, uh, exemplar church is that people were being overlooked because of their ethnicity. Uh, The Hellenistic Jews, the Hellenistic Jews are basically Greek Jews who convert to Judaism and and are Christian in this point. They're they're, they're Christian. They believe in Jesus, Um, but they're different. They're not complete Jews, not full-on Jews. They haven't been circumcised. Um, In some ways, they're converted. And you have the Jews, right, um, who are the Hebraic Jews. And they're, they're actually prioritizing their widows over the Hellenistic widows. And it's interesting, if you're a Jew, this is, this is new for you. Jew, if you read the Old Testament, Jews, Jews really only believe a couple things. And one of them is that that guy up there named Yahweh really cares a lot about us. Uh, we are Jews. We are entrusted with God's oracles to the world. We are his chosen priesthood, his holy nation. We are his people. And then you begin to see when Jesus comes and people are speaking different languages and you get this church, this church is unique for a number of reasons, but the main uniqueness is that it is diverse, that it is ethnically mm-hmm. diverse. And then, and you can see, you can see people in Jerusalem are kind of going to watch how this thing goes. And uh, we don't know why the Hellenistic Jew, uh, the, the widows, the Hellenistic widows are overlooked. Um, a couple of scenarios, right? Maybe they're overlooked on purpose. I don't believe so. I, I think, I think sometimes as people, it's easy for us, for birds of a feather to flock together. I think it's easy to, 
think of people that uh, look like you or even have similar viewpoints than you to surround yourself with familiarity. We don't know why the Hellenistic widows were overlooked, but they were overlooked and it was a big deal. Uh, it's brought to the apostles' attention and the apostles do something incredible. They say, let's select people that are full of wisdom, who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are respected by this church to tackle this issue head on. They didn't turn a blind eye to it. They didn't say, hey, just go baptize more or just go share your faith more. Or they didn't say, well, just they need, to get, they need to get over it. Those Hellenistic widows without food, just get over it. There was none of that. It was, no, this is an issue. We want to address it. But we also want to uh, choose the right people to address it. Uh, people that are full of the Holy Spirit who are highly respected. Now, that is this, a very similar criteria for selecting elders, for selecting deacons, right? This is kind of that first notion. But what's powerful, if you, if you read this, this story, you can miss a couple things. One of the things that the seven people they choose to take care of this issue are all Greek. They're all Hellenists. They're all Hellenistic. Um, so the Jews don't try to just say, hey, we'll take care of this problem ourselves. No, no, they actually choose seven Greeks. And they, they, they select them to be able to tackle this issue of in, 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 uh, inequity head on. Um, and one of the most powerful things about this verse is the very last verse, which can also be easily missed. You know, it says in the very last verse that a number of priests came to the faith after this event. Now that is incredible. Priests, it wasn't just Jews, priests, which means they were the ones, they were like the upper, upper Jews. They were the, the Jews that were entrusted uh, with being a bridge to God and the people. They were the ones who knew their Bible the best. They were the ones who knew Torah the best. They were the ones who knew the expectation of the Messiah the best. They were the ones who were blameless, flawless. They were the class of Jews who had most reason and the most to lose. They had the most to lose by converting to Christianity. And you know what's amazing is the, the priests saw people speak in different languages, right? They saw Audrey speak in Polish and they saw Teresa speak in Mandarin and Tom in German. And they, they saw it and they didn't convert because I think people can see miracles and still not come to God. They heard an incredible sermon from Peter, these priests. Didn't convert. Didn't come to Jesus. Because I think you can hear wonderful sermons and still not have your heart softened. What was it that softened these priests' hearts to become Christians? Perhaps it was seeing a church that didn't, didn't just talk the talk, but it walked the walk. It was a church that was not just satisfied with diversity, but they pursued unity. They pursued mutual respect. They pursued taking care of each other, even if it meant uncomfortability for themselves. But to have a, a, a church full of Greeks and Jews in Jerusalem, working together, loving each other, taking care of each other, praying together, it says right after this, a number of priests became Christians. You know, there are a lot of people in our community who perhaps look at us and go, wow, and we, we can share miracles with them. And they go, that's cool. That's good for you. We can preach to them. They go, wow, good for you. But if we don't stand out from the world, if we do not look distinct from the world in how we treat one another, then their hearts go unchanged. 
because supernatural love is just that. It's supernatural. If we love each other in the church the same way we love the parents of the kids in our class or the same way we love our coworkers or the same way we love our neighbor, that's not supernatural. That's very natural and very comfortable and very normal. But to actually be a church known for supernatural love, that is, it. That is the power of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't, it doesn't actually say that the priests converted to Christianity. It says the priests right, came to the faith. What does faith mean? It means trust. Trust in who? You know who, right? Jesus. Where did these people get all these ideas? Did, they, did, the 12, did Jesus have the 12 apostles attend cultural sensitivity training? Not that that's a bad thing, but no, I believe that it was just that they remembered Jesus and his example. When Jesus sat down with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, that you don't talk with women at wells. If you know your Jewish history, bad things happen at wells between men and women. Don't do it. Usually it ends in marriage or something like that. Jesus goes to a well with a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan, by the way, right? No bueno from a Jewish perspective. And he talks with her for like two chapters (laughs) for a long time. And his apostles are like, what are you doing? Don't do that. It's crazy. Jesus does that. And it's Jesus who goes up to Zacchaeus and said, I'm eating at your house tonight. And you too are a son of Abraham. That these, these incredible disciples in the early church did not just, they didn't just pursue unity or mutual respect or mutual love or consideration for consideration's sake, but they remembered their faith. They remembered in whom they put their trust. And it was someone who loved us supernaturally, right? Because here it's the Hellenistic widows that are overlooked right? Who are, and we all know what it feels like to be overlooked, to be forgotten, uh, to not be treated with respect, uh, to not be treated with dignity. And so that's, that's why uh, we're excited to announce that as a Blue Ridge Church, we want to come up with our very, our very own Acts 6 team. We want to come up with a team of people who are dedicated to pursuing and addressing issues of inequity within the Blue Ridge Church. Now, that, that may be a lot of different things, right? It could be, uh, could be in terms of race, in terms of uh, African, our African-American brothers and sisters. It could be our uh, Latin brothers and sisters. It could be an issue, Asian brothers and sisters. It, could, it might not be about race. It might be about maybe, you know, anybody who's, who can tend to not get a fair, a, fair, uh, a fair shake, the fair end of the deal. You know, you probably noticed a lot of our lessons have to do with marriage. Well, what about single parents? Perhaps it's good that someone on the Act 6 team be able to represent single parents and talk about what are resources, what are awareness to be able to allow the church to to make sure that that group, that incredibly cherished and honored group of heroes in the faith that we, we want to treat with special honor that we don't overlook. And I have blind spots, right? I'm a person. Jenny has blind spots. We have blind spots in it. We need uh, people who are representative, uh, who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are respected by the church to be able to point out those blind spots. You know, maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's, hey, you know, like we really want to make sure that singles are represented. You know, we want to make sure that empty nesters are represented. We want to make sure that, right, all these different areas, we can have this incredible group of, of people whose job it is to make sure that, they can, that, there's, that everything is equitable, that we are striving to treat all people within the church with respect. I got to tell you, this is extremely exciting. You know, a lot of churches out there are just picking an agenda and running with it. 
we have the incredible opportunity that, that to have a church full of people that are very different from their background, their viewpoint, people that are different in their race, people that are different, right? And where they're coming from, we get a chance to be able to go deeper, to, to see a problem and to address that problem. And even more powerfully, to see a problem, to address the problem and to stay unified, right? To, to, that's the power of the church. Something comes up, we address it with all humility and all reverence. You know, I just read a book, uh, a recent book, and it was kind of on, on you know, it was on racism uh, in, in, in America and in history. And it's amazing how the book is literally a discipling manual. It is a discipling manual uh, on how to basically have hard conversations, but to do so with humility. That's exciting to me because it's not like we're all learning what that is for the first time. We've been doing this. We've been striving to have communication with one another. Uh, to be able to listen to one another. And it's not just about racism. That's a huge part of what's happening now in our country. But we want to be prepared for whatever happens coming down the pike in a few months or a few years. We want to be ready to always be reforming. There's a phrase in Christianity called semper reformanda, always reforming, always changing, always growing, always looking for our blind spots, and being okay with people holding us accountable right? Being okay with saying, I blew it. Being okay with, I didn't know that. Being okay with, amen. Being okay with, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do that, but I love you, bro. I love you, sister. Being okay with always growing because we're not going to get into heaven based on our merit. We're not going to get into heaven based on our ability to succeed, even in these areas that feel so daunting. We have a righteousness that is from Jesus Christ. We have a righteousness that is from Christ. And let's just follow in his steps to enter, enter into loving relationships that require uncomfortability uh, and that will cause you to be wrong. Um, but I pray that our love goes beyond uncomfortability. I pray that our love goes beyond uh, my viewpoint. Oh, gosh, right? It would be a rough church if we just went with Drew's viewpoint, right? Um, but to be able to... to Give attention to all parts of the body, especially those that deserve special attention, special honor. Um, and to encourage you, we all wanted to be like the first century church. We did it. <laughs> Here we are, right? Acts 6. There, I'm so glad that Luke put this story in the Bible. I'm so glad that Luke said, well, I should probably write about that incident. That, that, was, that was, it was real. It was honest, but we had to address it. Um, you know, it could have been easy just to include all the miracles of, of, of the first church. But he, he says, hey, listen, there was something happening in Jerusalem and it was not good. People were being excluded because they were Greek. Um, and we needed to address it and change it. Uh, and we chose seven people to take care of it. We prayed about it. They were highly respected. And we moved on. And that was the only problem they ever had. No, it was not. Gotcha. No, it was not. We haven't even got to Acts 15 yet, where they continue to have this discussion. And by the way, the entire New Testament is dripping with the Jew-Gentile issue. If you, if you just read the New Testament, almost every verse is dripping with how do these Jews and how do these Gentiles become a family. This is the struggle of the first century church. It's the struggle of us. We live in a fallen world. But praise God that we are not judged 
um, by our ability to succeed in this area. We're judged by our ability to be humble. We're judged by our ability to put our trust, our faith in Jesus and to follow in, in him, in his own footsteps and in the faith he went. As he entrusted himself to one who judged justly, he became obedient in humility. I pray that we can be obedient in humility as well. We don't have people right now for this Acts 6 team. Um, but uh, if you have suggestions or ideas, we, we don't want to rush this. We want to pray about it. We want to ask the whole, for the Holy Spirit to move, to guide. And we pray this is not just a flash in the pan thing. We pray, we pray that this really is uh, something in Charlottesville and Harrisonburg that lasts for, for years to be able to provide the church with an opportunity to see blind spots, and regardless of where those blind spots are. Um, and we're grateful. We're, I'm immensely grateful for it. We're going to be grateful. There are so many people. I know um, that have so much to share, so much, there's so much to learn, there's so much to be aware of, and there's so much to grow in. And I praise God that those things are exposed and that we don't just, you know, become robots or Stepford, Stepford wives in some, some church where we all look the same and act the same and do the same, God forbid. But we get a chance to be able to dig deeper and love deeper and have supernatural love. Um, so uh, with that tonight, we're going to do things a little bit different. We're not going to do any discussion questions, but we are going to have some time to break up into groups and pray. If you notice, this, this section is, is uh, the word prayer comes up several times. We, we wanted to make sure we were devoted to prayer as leaders. And then when we chose these people uh, to be on the Act 6 team, they probably didn't call their team Act 6. That would have been pretty cool, though. But when they chose their Act 6 team, uh, they prayed. And they made sure that this was the Holy Spirit's doing. But we want to take a chance to pray tonight, to pray for ourselves, to pray for our city, to pray for our country, to pray for our world to pray for our schools, to pray for our children. There's just so much to pray about, to pray for the, the businesses that are closing in Charlottesville, to pray for those who have lost their jobs, to pray for those who are sick. There's so much to pray about. And I think one of the things that prayer does is it unifies us because we go to God together. So tonight, as we pray, just open it up for everyone to get a chance to pray. And whenever you're finished, to stick around and fellowship. Fellowship is so key nowadays to just have a chance to be able to just laugh. I encourage you, try and laugh in your group. Try and try and Try and it's going to be hard, but try and laugh, try and joke, try and encourage others. Um, but but just fellowship is so crucial to uh, to be able to to be a family as well as prayer and as well as uh, hearing a lesson. So, without further ado, uh, Jenny's going to click that button, and uh, we will split up into our groups. And when you're done, uh, you're done. So, love you guys. Thanks for fighting the good fight, and I uh, hope your groups go great. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.